You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Hey, hey, Jess O'Reilly here, your friendly neighborhood sexologist and relationship expert. I feel like I need a hook line. You know, you're the friendly neighborhood sexologist. What am I? Mr. Dr. Jess. Sounds great. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Desire Resorts and Cruises. I was just down at Desire Riviera Maya Pearl, and Brandon and I will be on the clothing optional cruise coming up this fall. So check them out, Desire Resorts and Cruises. We're down here in Miami finishing up cancer treatment with our doggy who happens to be crawling around at our feet. And I have just returned from a corporate speaking tour. I was abroad in Spain, in Switzerland, in Holland, in Jerusalem. And people often ask, well, what do you talk about? on these corporate speaking tours, it doesn't make much sense that they have a sexologist. But here's the thing. If you are happy in your home life, your performance is stronger at work. When your employees, when your management, when your staff have harmonious relationships in the home, they're more likely to have harmonious relationships in the workplace. And of course, conversely, when there is strife, tension, stress in the home, That translates into the workplace and affects collaborative work environments, affects the work culture, and of course, affects the bottom line. So I was doing some really interesting work, but very happy to be back with Brandon, who seems to be reading these celebrity newspapers. Is it (laughs) Us Weekly or U.S. Weekly? Come on, man. I'm not not reading the these gossip magazines, but I might have seen a few clickbait headlines. All right. Yes. So Farah Abraham, if you don't know her, she is known for reality show appearances. She was on 16 and Pregnant, and she's now offering therapy, which she calls therapy. 5000 bucks for 30 minutes, couples therapy, sex therapy, and our guest, Dr. Nikki Coleman, who is an actual therapist psychologist as well as a tenured professor, she will be joining us to discuss Farah's new practice as well as celebrity advice and which celebrity advice we should follow and which types can be harmful. And you might be thinking, why why even bother with celebrity advice? But the reality is that celebrity advice on relationships, on diet, on family, on workouts, on politics, on war and peace they reach farther than most experts. If Angelina Jolie or, I'm trying to think of a celebrity name, Jennifer Aniston, if they decide to start a sex and relationship podcast, probably not together, but (laughs) it will hit the top of the charts. And honestly, it'll reach more people than mine currently does. So, I mean, as someone working in this field, I need to consider why this is the case. So I've been looking into celebrity advice and the appeal of celebrity advice and came across a concept called the familiarity principle of attraction, which plays a role in why we are drawn to advice from celebrities. So studies have revealed that we are all attracted to that which is familiar to us and that repeated exposure to people increases our attraction to them. 
And this subconscious attraction to familiar people occurs because we consider them to be safe and unlikely to cause harm. And that, of course, is derived from familiarity. So that's one reason. They're familiar, so we trust them. The brain begins to trust them. But it's not just familiarity, but also celebrities are so damn attractive. (laughs) Their attractiveness draws us to their often nonsensical advice because so many of them are beautiful, obviously, and they benefit from what we call the beauty premium. As humans, we attribute a variety of positive characteristics and traits to pretty people. And we think that pretty people are intelligent and competent and trustworthy and leaders. And so paying attention to attractive people may very well be embedded in our cognitive apparatus for evolutionary reasons. Because when you see someone beautiful, we associate that strength and beauty with good genes or with a strong family or with status. But here's the thing. We're no longer in the wild and we have rational thought and we have science to help us better understand everything from nutrition to relationships. So why do we still listen to celebrities? Uh, Timothy Caulfield, he's a scientist who hosts a show called A User's Guide to Cheating Death. I was actually on this show and it's on Netflix. So check it out. A User's Guide to Cheating Death. Shameless self-promotion. Timothy Caulfield says we embrace celebrity advice because it plays into our basic intuition. It's easy and it confirms simple beliefs. So like the idea of toxins in the world and how you have to rid your body, your closet, your cleaning cupboard of toxins is just something that's easy to buy into. And this is why celebrities spout it and we buy it and that's why you know Gwyneth Paltrow says you should steam your vagina no you should not steam your vagina and I was I was looking at some neuroscience research and this research suggests that when you see a celebrity endorsement of a project of a product it activates brain regions involved in positive associations trust and encoding memories. And then the more we hear it, the more we see these endorsements, the more our brains become conditioned to react positively to them. I'd like to go back to the steaming of vaginas. Oh, okay. How is this logical in any way? How would you buy into that? Has anyone felt steam before? Because I've been burned by steam. <laughs> it hurts. So the idea of steaming my genitalia just seems like a bad idea on many, many levels. So you have or you have not steamed your balls in the past? (laughs) I burned my hand steaming myself, ironing something, and it hurts. The idea of putting that near my junk is not something I want to do. So not hot when you call it your junk. No, I know that, but just trying to keep it light here for a minute. (laughs) All right. We have all this science as to why we trust celebrities, even though you may not be someone who trusts celebrities. I think it's important that we unpack some of the nonsensical advice they're spreading and making money off of. So joining us to discuss this advice, the good, if there is any, the bad and the ugly, is Dr. Nikki Coleman, a licensed 
counseling psychologist and tenured professor. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Well, there is a lot to talk about. You've heard that reality star Farrah Abraham, who is on 16 and Pregnant and Teen Mom and a bunch of other reality shows, is now offering therapy, couples therapy, sex therapy, $5,000 for 30 minutes of, get this, therapy. <laughs> wow. So first, well, I uh, want to charge her rates. <laughs> right, right. Then you, then you could actually have some time with your family, time for yourself. Hey, I could live the In- life that I think I should be living if I could charge her rates. Right. <laughs> now, I don't know if anybody is going for this, um, but as a licensed therapist, um, what do you have to say to the fact that she believes she is qualified to offer this therapy because she has dated all around the world? Wow. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's um, where to start, Dr. Jeff. So here's the thing. And I, and I bet you've had this experience, right, too, where you meet someone who's taken a psychology, a psychology undergrad class or maybe they even minored or they work in a profession where they talk to people all the time and they think, oh, I could, I mean, I do counseling, I do therapy, um, I could do what you do. Um, but inside, I'm always like, really? Is that really? You think I just sit around and just chat with folks um, all day? Okay, sure. So while, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think, I think generally speaking, therapy has done a bad job of like marketing ourselves, right? So I think that's why people do maybe sometimes take us for granted, right? That this is a legitimate skill that we practice at this, that we learn um, how to be objective listeners, that we actually are pulling in um, lots of information, knowledge, and expertise about from psychological research, right? Um, To really be able to use that to help people figure out how to be the best versions of themselves. We're not just drawing from our life experiences. Um, We're not gurus, right? Like psychology is a very specific, and the practice of therapy is a very specific profession. Um, So while I'm sure she's learned a lot of hard life lessons through her um, experiences, um, that does not qualify you as a therapist. Um, I'm not convinced. Yeah, and it sounds like we need to delineate between personal experience and professional expertise because so, your experience as an individual is so valid and so relevant and you can draw so many meaningful insights absolutely. from your experience. But it's just one person's experience, whereas you, having studied as a psychologist, have read thousands upon thousands upon thousands of cases Mm -hmm. put together, aggregated, you've looked for patterns, studied. And so your life experience as Dr. Nikki is relevant to your practice, right? Like you, you, you are a woman, you bring that perspective, you're a woman of color, you bring that perspective. And I don't know much more about your personal life, but your personal experience is relevant to your practice, but it is not the basis of knowledge from which you draw more and more than that. Um, 
what I have been trained to do and what I do in training other therapists is to be able to not only be aware of my personal experiences, but learn how to put those aside when they're either creating a bias in my capacity to really hear and understand the person or people sitting across from me, or to also learn how when my experiences are not even relevant to those other people, right? Like, so there's just another level beyond that. Um, I always talk about using myself as a, as a tool, right? Because I am a person in the room. Um, and I, a lot of my, um, theoretical orientation. So my approach to how I do therapy is rooted in the idea about relationships. I think that we learn a lot about ourselves and we learn about um, our values. We live our values in our relationships. So I do pay attention to my reactions, my thoughts and feelings in the therapy room, but they are not the only thing that I'm drawing on or using to be able to help my clients progress in their lives. Because I can tell you, I've sat across from people that on paper look nothing like me. White men who are working in corporate America have nothing to do from my experiences being raised by a single mom as as a black woman from the South, right? And I've practiced in the Midwest, I've practiced in the East Coast, I'm originally from the South. So I've sat across from people that have had life experiences with addiction that I've never had. And so if I was only drawing on my personal experiences, I would only be able to help a very limited amount of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. And so what is the cost uh, as we wrap up the discussion of Farah and move on to Steve Harvey? <laughs> what is the cost? Uh, other than the five thousand U.S. dollars for thirty minutes, can you imagine that? <laughs> <laughs> I just I can't wrap my brain around that for thirty minutes. Because first of all, a standard therapy session is forty-five minutes, right? So she's already cheating you um, <laughs> and overcharging, <laughs> cheating you and overcharging you. Um, so I think the cost is. I think still at this point, there is a fundamental stigma for seeking mental health services. Um, And I think things like this, and I also like, and you know, happy to segue into talking about our friend, Steve Harvey, Mm. um, celebrities dabbling in um, helping people uh, being, being promoting themselves as life coaches or therapists or whatever. I think it only serves to delegitimize therapy as a legitimate um, approach to mental wellness and mental health. And then I think that helps people feel justified for not going to get the help that they need. Um, And to me, that is the bigger cost and the bigger challenge. I think there are absolutely a lot of, I refer to them as walking wounded. You know, you ever hear someone's story and you hear like, oh my gosh, like they've suffered some really important trauma and they're surviving in life, but they're not thriving. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people think, well, it's in the past, it happened, it doesn't affect me now. But really, if you sit and look and start to unpack, there are a lot of um, current negative impacts that past experiences have had. And so I think the more that we have all of these folks kind of getting into the arena of giving advice, and presenting advice as therapy, that makes it more likely that folks that actually need the help don't go and get it. And that to me is a real concern. 
It really is a, is a significant cost. And, and you know, when we segue into relationships, we take people like Steve Harvey, who began as comedians and may have been decent comedians, I'm not sure, but now he <laughs> bills himself as, as a relationship expert. And, uh, you know, I, I have all these quotes from him, but what is the worst Steve Harvey advice you have heard? I mean, I think the title of his book, right? Um, <laughs> think like a man, act like a woman. I, what? I don't, I don't even know what that means. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. Um, because I don't think because of my vagina, believe it or not. Right. Or like my, like, sure. I am a woman. My gender is very important to me. But also, um, I would imagine the same is true for you. But guess what? We're different women. So how does that apply? How do we make this broad generalization that um, all men think alike and all women think alike? So I think like fundamentally that um, that is just a pet peeve of mine all together um, is that you want to lump all people of a particular gender together as being the same. And then what that tends to do is reinforce negative gender stereotypes on both parts, right? Um, so that bothers me. But what I also hear him saying, like as a theme, seems to be a lot of women dimming themselves down, right? So playing mm-hmm. into this role of being submissive, playing into this role as being less than in order to attract a man. That, that is so sad in a culture that already makes it so difficult to have high, high self-esteem um, that we're supposed to lower ourselves down in order to get someone to like us and love us and honor us. And it's interesting because, you know, doing what I do for a living, I just came back from a speaking tour and I'm all over the world and I'm on my own. And the big question I get is, well, how does your husband handle this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he doesn't handle it. I mean, he loves it. I'll, I'll let Brandon speak for himself, but what, what should I be saying to those people, Brandon? Because I feel as though what they really want to hear is that, that, oh, no, no, he's got something bigger going on than me, mm-hmm. or he's so confident that this doesn't, this doesn't affect him, or I'm, a wom- I'm his wife first. I'm just out here because, you know, because he's allowing. How, how do I answer them, Brandon, when they ask, you know, how do you handle my trouble or handle my work or handle the fact I'm working with, you know, powerful people. I mean, there's so many different questions to answer there, but I, I don't ever feel like I've had to handle the, the, you know, this career path that you've taken. I've supported you. I've encouraged you. I've wanted you to do it because you're so passionate and you're able to help so many people that I look at it as this wonderful opportunity for you to make a difference. If nothing else, I want to encourage you to do what you want to do. So when people ask me that question, like, how does it, how do you handle it? I, I'm, I'm like, how do you handle your partner going to work and doing what they do? It's the exact same. I'm supportive. I'm, I, I want you to do whatever you enjoy. And it, it kind of perplexes me because I also think about this idea of what was it? Steve Harvey, think like a woman, act like a man. That mm-hmm. immediately makes me think that I have to act a certain way. Mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to be emotional. I'm not allowed to be upset when I want to be. I have to put up this stoic mm-hmm. machismo mm-hmm. attitude and, um, and convey to everyone that I'm tough. I'm strong. Nothing hurts me. And I've seen a therapist. I've benefited tremendously 
from talking to a therapist, I would mm-hmm. encourage, I wish that everybody had the opportunity to speak to somebody on a regular basis mm-hmm. because it helps so much. Yeah. And what concerns me the most about what all of these uh, celebrities are saying right now is just Dr. Nikki, like you said, just kind of recognize uh, the importance of speaking to somebody that can disassociate from what you're presenting to someone and say, I'm drawing from, you know, information and not anecdotal experience. Right. And when I, when something's wrong with my car, I take it to a mechanic. (laughs) When I feel sick, I go to a doctor. When I need to seek advice about my relationship or my, my feelings, I want to see a professional. So why is it that we turn to celebrities for their experience and assume that it's gospel. I really love what you're saying, um, Brandon, about about the impact on you as a man, because that's the other piece that I don't um, that I don't know that has been talked a lot about with Steve Harvey, because he does focus so much on how the woman should be. But what it the uh, the indirect message is, it's also telling men how they're supposed to be, and what it's basically saying. What I hear is, if I have to be downplay myself and all of my talents and skills and intelligence and passions if i have to downplay that to for a man that means that's probably not the man for me because that means he can't handle my fullness and i have a lot that i bring to the table so i need somebody that can meet me in doing that like i want a partner where we can both be the best of ourselves together rather than me pretending to be something in order for him to feel this false sense of superiority or ego or whatever. Um, and that's for me is the real conversation that we need to be having. Absolutely. And what does that say about men? He's acting as though men are better, but women have to play themselves down in order to get them. But that the message we're sending to men is that they're not good enough to begin with. And now Steve Hartby says some other things that are um, kind of concerning. He insists that men and women cannot be friends because no matter what, 99.9% of men are trying to sleep with their female friends. Wow. Yeah. I mean, how do you respond to this? And I I definitely want to hear how Brandon responds because he has plenty of (laughs) friends of all genders. (laughs) Right. Um, Right. So let's, so yeah, I definitely want to hear Brandon's perspective on this, but so one, Let's just talk about the uh, assumed heteronormativity of that statement, right? Like, so all men are attracted to women. Um, so they're, you're cutting out a whole segment of the male population. That's one thing that I find particularly problematic. Um, secondarily, it also just, again, reduces men to nothing more than their sexuality. Um, and which which then for me feeds into stereotypes that then women are only objectified because if the men are only focused on sex then that means that men are only perceiving women as a sexual object um and so it's just really uh, disheartening to be reducing whole people down to these very simplistic um ideas um i've had plenty of male friends in my adult life, um, straight and gay. And it's not been a problem. They've been able to keep it in their pants. I've been able to (laughs) keep it in my pants. And wow, we've had really close, intimate relationships. Imagine that. Like it's, I don't. And imagine you had missed out on those because you made assumptions that men only want you for sex. So the messaging to women is 
you should be hot enough that all your friends are trying to sleep with you. Mm. You're not on the same level as your male friends because they're just using you for sex. Mm. Men, something is wrong with you if you're not trying to bang every chick you see. Exactly. Uh, you should be raring to go at all times. And I, I think about reducing men to animals when they are smart and complex and emotional and intimate, wonderful people, they're not just animals trying to, squirrels trying to get, get a nut. I mean, Brandon, you have, you have female friends. So, I mean, maybe you can speak to whether or not you're trying to sleep with them. <laughs> I can assure all my female friends that I am not trying to sleep with them. Um, it does diminish who I am and what I am is I'm like a sexual predator at all times. I'm, I'm like trying to, to, to seduce, which I'm absolutely not. I also don't think I, I, I'm just kind of blown away by that, by that statement, but I'm just like, can I not control? Right. You're making it like I can't control myself. Um, not only that, but assuming that everybody else also wants me and I, I don't know. I just, I think it's a ridiculous statement to make. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a good point. You know, the, this, these messages that you can't control your thing into rape culture. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's interesting that all of his advice is directed at women. And this is coming from a guy, let's remember, who's on his third marriage. And there's nothing wrong with being on your third marriage. But in your third marriage, you have a 73% chance of divorce. Uh, he was unfaithful or, you know, he's dealing with affairs in his previous marriages. And the bottom is, it doesn't sound like he has much respect for women. But it also doesn't sound as though he has much respect for men. Right. I, I would totally agree. I think... Um... I, yeah, I find so many problems with it. And you know what? It makes me think about this last piece that, that Brandon was saying is, you know, um, when when the country first started having all of these more real conversations about the Me Too movement, then there was this counter backlash by men saying, well, can I even smile at a woman? And can I give a compliment to a woman? <laughs> um, and it's for me, it falls along the same continuum, right? That, that, that if men feel that their only way of being in relationship to women is as a sexual being, then of course, all of the interactions take on this threatening, um, you know, kind of tinge in this uh, contemporary Me Too, Me Too movement. It's like, no, you can be a whole person who actually has <laughs> a relationship with somebody. Maybe you have a girlfriend that likes to watch football with you. And that is the extent of the relationship. There is nothing sexual about it or, um, has been I don't know if you know high that school, right? Like these things, yeah, these things are real, um, and people don't have to be threatened by it. Um, and you, you and Steve Harvey says women don't like sports. We can't possibly like sports, right? We just use them to pretend. I don't know to get close to men or like that. I don't know if you saw that quote as well. <laughs> Pretty much everything that comes out of his mouth is really problematic to me. Yeah. Um, because what he started doing now, I don't know if you see, but like there's a section at the end of his show where he's basically just like giving out advice. Right. And I'm like, who are these people that, you know, if he, I just don't understand if I have a serious personal issue, I don't think, let me get on the Steve Harvey show and wait to the end and Steve, what I should do. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't understand. And so that also tells me like people really are craving legitimate um, guidance um, and feedback about how to have relationships, um, how to be in healthy relationships. I don't think, um, I, I think we have assumptions that once you fall in love, everything's supposed to work out perfectly and you guys are just supposed to be in tuned and know um, 
know each other and anticipate each other's needs and be there for each other. Um, and relationships are freaking hard, man. Um, and you need support and guidance to do that. And I think people are hungry for that, but they're going to the wrong sources um, to get that. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's the stigma of seeking professional support that you're, you're acknowledging that something is quote unquote wrong with you? Absolutely. Yeah. I mm. Yeah. I still think that we really, um, like on the one, one hand, I think maybe consciously and intellectually we get like, you can go to therapy and not be crazy, but I do still feel like there's this undercurrent, um, of assumption that there's something wrong with me. If I have to go see a therapist, um, that I'm broken in some way. Um, and sometimes not being able to reconcile that need for help, um, is enough to get people stuck. Um, and I I also think just to push a little bit deeper on the relationship front, I think women are really socialized from an early age to believe that they're supposed to be the nurturers. They're supposed to be the caretakers. And so they're supposed to kind of drive the emotion, um, of the relationship. And if they can't do that, I think that really taps into their sense of womanhood. Um, and it's, I don't know that they have the freedom to be able to say, um, I need help in this area or um, things are happening in this relationship that I don't know how to handle, but I'm supposed to be able to figure this out on my own. I think there are a lot of like negative internalized messages that get people stuck from really seeking the help that they need. And what about the case where one member of a couple, one partner wants to go to therapy and the other wants to dissuade them, perhaps out of fear mm-hmm. that they're going to, you know, have an alliance with this therapist or talk about them? Do you run into that? And how do we overcome that? <laughs> what You know what I actually see more <laughs> is um, I actually see more or, or get more. I'll get calls um, from the female um, partner that is like, I want to bring us in, but then when I'm doing like, so what I typically do is I have folks call um, and we do like a 20 minute um, brief kind of overview. Like, what, why do you want to come to therapy? And for me to kind of get a sense of, even if I'm the best therapist for them, and I will get calls where it, like the woman partner will call and then the whole time they're talking about him and what they want him to do. <laughs> um, and I'm like, right. have you talked to him? about this mm-hmm. um and he's not interested in therapy and he doesn't go um and so i'll you know i'll gauge and I, I make it very clear i can't fix your your couple with only you coming in right mm-hmm. i can you can come in and we can talk about the places and the relationship in which you don't feel valued or which you don't feel your needs are met um how that connects to maybe some other parts of your life but i can't fix the unit if you're the only one showing up um mm-hmm. and so um, I do tend to get women in first and we'll get to a place where we can help them figure out um, what, it, what the stuck points really are for them, how to talk. Um, I kind of work to coach them about how to talk to that, um, talk about those things with their partner. And then sometimes we'll move to bringing the couple in um, at that point. Um, and couples work is really uh Really, I love it. It's really fascinating. Uh, what I love that moment when the two people realize, oh, I've been having this conversation all in my head and making all right. sorts of assumptions about what I thought you were going to say or thinking that has nothing to do with how you really feel. Um, and so once we get all that stuff out on the table, 
there's uh, so much more room for flexibility and growth and understanding that happens. But sometimes it does take work to kind of get to that actual point. I like that you said that you'll see one partner first because people will say to me, oh, my partner won't go to therapy. What should I do? And I say, you go. You go. Look after your own stuff. See how yeah. you can change the way you think and you behave. And, and oftentimes you'll find that they're using their partner as a scapegoat. Yes. It's... Yes, they want to go, but it's contingent upon their partner going when, in fact, we can all help ourselves. And I mean, you know this better than I do, but if I show up to therapy with a list of things I'd like my partner to change, (laughs) the outcome is going to be be a very short list. (laughs) (laughs) It would say your underwear. I'd like you to change your underwear. (laughs) What gets me the most about the whole we can't go to, you know, we haven't been able to go, he won't come, she won't go to therapy, is that I think a lot of times it's about modifying your own behavior and the way you think within the relationship. I mean, that's one of the things that I'd been, that had been brought to my attention. It was like people want their partner to change, but if you take the steps to change your own behavior and change your own thought processes, a lot of times that can, that can help get the ball rolling. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I tell my clients all the time, um, you can't change anyone else around you. You can work on yourself and then people around you, especially the ones that, um, that really matter, right? The relationships in which those people are actually also invested in you um, and the relationship matters, they will shift um, when you move. So if you really focus on yourself and you start changing how you um, articulate your needs, if you start changing how you draw boundaries around things, if you start changing how you show compassion um, to your partner or to your other relationships, then they will respond in turn. So there is a whole lot of work that can be done on the self to improve relationships without, um, without there needing to be both parties present sometimes. And sometimes that does create enough movement um, for folks to get back on track without a whole lot of work. I think, and I'm, I think maybe that's the other thing. Like people think, oh, I'm going to be in therapy for like months or like, you know, this is going to take over my life. And, you know, things can happen pretty quickly if you come in ready to work and you're open to talk about where you are and where you're stuck. Therapy does not have to be a lifelong investment, right? You can get in get your life together and get out. Um, is what I like <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. And, and you, you can also see a therapist and see that change happen and then check in when you, when you need to see them, right? Like you can go yeah. back. Once, a lot of therapists are open. I know that the old model was lie on my couch and speak about your childhood and, you know, I'll decide when you're over it. But it is, is a lot more client directed and, And that's, you know, we're talking about this in reference to Steve Harvey and reference to Farah Abraham, because your options for therapy are so much broader and so much better than they ever were. So why listen to a Steve Harvey soliloquy? (laughs) Do you know what's interesting, Dr. Nikki? People in in my field, in in sexuality and in, in our field, the relationships are reticent to even speak out against guys like Steve Harvey. Mm-hmm. Because, for instance, I remember a marketing agency was trying to get me on his show. And I thought, what would this guy want with someone like me on his show? Because I am going to, uh, you know, be subversive right. <laughs> and mm. contradict what he's saying. But people are afraid to speak out because he has the power. He has the platform. Mm. The reality is more people listen to Steve Harvey then listen to me. And that is, or or to you, and this is a a scary thought. You know, I want to bring it to a 
a related statement from Adam Levine. He's a, what, what group is he from, babe? Maroon 5. Oh, man, five. you put me on the spot. Was it Maroon 5? Okay, cool. Well, you, oh, my gosh. Because I have one of my celebrity crushes. Like, oh, he's your I celebrity crush. <laughs> one of them. On. One of them. I don't know. I thought all you, all you white boys stuck oh, together. Yeah, 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 me and Adam, man. I was just on the phone with him. I was like, dude, I really did not agree with that last statement you made. <laughs> So Adam Levine, this is a simple one, says, listen to the woman. She's always right. Even when you don't always think that's the case, make her feel like it is. Mm -mm. Trust me. These statements that hurt women hurt men. What, what do you have to say to Adam? Oh, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> sweet, sweet. Adam. Hold on. What, what message do you want me to relay to Adam yes, when, I, when, I, when we talk later today? <laughs> to your dude, bro, friend. Um. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, you know, I think this is just another variation on the theme, right? When I was talking earlier about women are expected to be the emotional drivers of the relationship. And I think this is how it shows up, right? You just, what is it? Happy wife, happy life, right? Um, so, Ugh. Ugh. Right. <laughs> yeah. so you just, and it, I, I think, um, that's part of where that comes from. What I find problematic is, you know, I don't want to be in a relationship with anybody that's pretending. Um, mm -hmm. And if you have thoughts and feelings, so let me back all the way up. It's not a relationship if both parties' thoughts and feelings can't be contained. Doesn't mean that both that that both people are going to always get exactly what they want. There has to be room for negotiation. There has to be room for reconciliation. Um, but reciprocity is key in any healthy relationship. And so if there are pieces of yourself that you are constantly holding back, then I'm not really in relationship with you. I'm in relationship with a, with a prototype, with a version of you. Um, and that can start to breed a whole lot of distrust um, that can lead to infidelity that can lead to betrayal in lots of other ways. Um, and so I'd rather you give me the hard truth in a loving way, in a compassionate way. Um, but I'd mm -hmm. rather you show up as your full self so that I know who I'm actually laying down to next, you know, laying next to um, every night. I don't want a pretend version of you. So that's one piece of it. Um, and the other piece of it is like, this idea that women are like these emotional beings and if you push back or disagree um, that I'm just going to fall apart into hysterics um, or, you know, I might even be withholding of sex or all of the whatever <laughs> stereotypes that exist because you've pissed me off. Um, and that, again, is just another way to reduce women down to kind of stereotypes. And it also says some things about men, right? Like, like Brandon can't handle your negative emotions. Brandon can't handle you disagreeing with him. What kind of man would he be? Um, and then what's sexy about that? Um, yeah, I'm not interested in that. that I mean, I, I hope I didn't ruin your Adam Levine crush. No. He's <laughs> <laughs> just pretty. Um, <laughs> We're not into you for your personality, Adam, let me tell you. So I probably should have yeah, going to be a tough conversation when Adam and I talk later today. <laughs> but I will say that, you know, trying to make your partner happy is something that I certainly do. But like you said, Dr. Nikki, the reciprocity is there. Like when I, I do feel in, in our relationship that I'm able, I, I'm always making an effort to try and do what Jess makes her happy. Mm -hmm. But I know that that is reciprocated every day. Mm -hmm. Like she's going out of her way to also do the same. And when we're both working towards that same goal, which is making each other happy, 
everybody wins. I don't, I hear that all the time. Happy wife, happy, happy life. And I'm like, man, really? Because, you know, I, I do think my partner's trying to make me happy too. Yeah. And we're both trying to make each other happy. And then we're happy together. Yeah. My dream is that I'm going to go to a wedding and the toast isn't going to reference the woman wears the pants, right? There's always these, there are always these jokes. Like a wedding isn't <laughs> painful enough <laughs> as it is without these sexist jokes about, you know, do what she says. The woman wears the pants. I'm talking about obviously male, female weddings here. And it's, it's not serving anyone. People will say like, oh, this is about feminism. This is about all genders. This is not mm -hmm. good for men. This is not good for women. It's not good for anyone. And playing games. I want to talk a little bit about playing games because Taylor Swift oh, yes. has said, Brandon, do you know her? The T Swift? Yeah, man. It's part of, I call her after I call Adam Levine. Yeah. Uh, Taylor Swift says we should not respond to texts until a guy has waited long enough to do something drastic and feel desperate. What do you say to playing games like this? Oh my gosh. I don't, you know what? I, I think this is a harder one for me. Um, I do think game playing is problematic. Um, and um, I feel like it's become just par for the course in, in like contemporary dating. I think like um, uh, dating apps and texting as a like um, expected form of communication early on in relationships has really um, stilted how people are actually able to connect um, because it, it doesn't allow you to really engage the person. It doesn't, it really kind of, in my experience um, and from what I hear from my clients, it's like you just expect guys to play games. Like people um, will text, people want um, pics within like a day of meeting you. Um, people ghost each other all the time. And so I think there is a lot more game playing that happens. Um, that And the game playing works such that um, it, it reinforces sexist beliefs, right? So men still have the power in how the game playing is set up and women feel like they're responding to that um, oftentimes. So um, um, in heterosexual relationships. And um, so on the one hand, I, I get why Taylor would give that advice. On the other hand, I don't think it helps us resolve the problem at all. Um, that it, I think it's really difficult in the, in the days of texting um, as dating to kind of separate out who's worth your real investment and engagement and who's not. Um, and I think that leads to those sort of statements being said. Right. The, the game playing is something that seems so stressful mm -hmm. for every dater, for daters on all sides. And it's interesting because the data continues to suggest that people do want commitment. And then we see the apps that are just about hooking up and hooking up is fine. Although the data also shows that young people are not necessarily hooking up at a, at mm -hmm. a higher rate than, than their parents were. But I, I would like to say to people, like, can you not play games? Can you be honest? Because when all is said and done, even if it results in being ghosted or, you know, a, a negative dating experience, I think you can sleep better at night when you, mm -hmm. when you treat people with respect, when you're not messing with them. And I mean, who really wants to end up like Taylor Swift? Every song is a breakup. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Uh, I mean, 
so, so I definitely think I, I want to unhealthy. Like I don't think it gets mm-hmm. I don't think it gets any of us anywhere, right? Um, and then you know, how do you find um uh you know, I'm thinking of a client that I've been working with recently who's um kind of gotten fatigued from a lot of the real heartbreak because she feels like she's putting herself out there genuinely. Um, yeah, guys aren't taking her seriously and trying to figure out where that line is. Um, mm-hmm. I think it'd be hard. Um, and, and, you know, you genuinely have people who get feelings hurt. Um, and then I always think about on the guy side of things about when do you decide to, to be more vulnerable? Like what's that line in the sand for you where you decide, um, I don't want to play this game anymore. And now do you have the real um, skills, um, communication skills, and like the, the, um, the, the knowledge to know how to move your relationship to the next level when you're ready to stop playing games. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, with, with dating apps and with the capacity to connect with so many people simultaneously, right. I can be texting 18 people at once in one breath. I I think we might be on the precipice of something kind of exciting because I do think more young people are willing to defy gender stereotypes. I think more young people are willing to talk about mental health. And so I think that over the next, I'm hopeful that over the next five to 10 years, we'll see people being more honest about what they want. Like if I just want to bang a bunch of people, I'll be honest and say, I just, I just want to have sex with you, nothing else. And if I, don't want to bang a bunch of people if I want to wait till marriage and and date until I find a person who's a really good fit for me mm-hmm. I think I'll be able to say that too like we see an increase in the number of virgins in their 20s today and I think this is a corollary of the fact that we are more open to multiple options people are able to admit you know what I don't want to have the sex or people are able to admit I want to have the sex with the everyone right. so I, I'm I'm, op- I'm optimistic. And I want to close with a, a quote from Zsa Gabor, who mm. says that husbands are like fires. They go out when unattended. And this speaks to the erroneous belief that supervision is the key to mm. a healthy relationship, mm-hmm. right? Stay there and supervise him or he'll go out. What do you say to that? I don't have the time for it. Um. <laughs> I, yeah, I really, um, I, I, I like what Brandon was saying, right? Like um, the reciprocity piece, right? If he's focused on you being happy, you're focused on um, him being happy, then that means you guys are living a full life, right? Um, and I think that that needs to happen more. I, see, I, I wonder if you see this too, where, um, especially with younger couples, um, first time marriages, um, then it becomes all about the couple um, and they only do things with each other or they only do other couple things with other couples. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of like the single friends get left behind and all the things that they used to do um, kind of get left behind. And there is some, some necessity to that, right? When you're building a life, you're building an infrastructure and um, um, there has to be some kind of more turning inwards. But I think what happens is if you get too, caught up in that, then all the things that actually attracted you to your partner and your partner to you start to go away, 
if you all are only in the house watching Netflix together um, and doing the same routine over and over again, well, that's not what was attractive about him or her when you met. You probably were attracted to their vibrancy and that their ambition and what they did, um, their their um, support circle, those sorts of things. So you have to continue to attend to those things. Um, you have to continue to attend to making yourself um, a better person. You don't, you know, we don't reach 25 or 35 and we're fully cooked, right? Um, you keep growing and evolving over the course of your life. And you can't do that if you're only focused on your partner. I think that's this where last I, one. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say that this last that last point that you made really resonates with me and I think with us. The idea that Jess and I have a life together, but we also we also have independent interests. Mm -hmm. And I'm very I want to be very supportive of what she does in her own time, and I want to encourage her and I want her to do it. And she wants the same of me. And I think that's one of the reasons why our relationship has has that spark and that interest. We spend time apart. Um, we also, again, like we're separate a lot and I can attest to the fact that being apart does not mean that bad things happen. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. Jess mm -hmm. will, I mean, she's been away for three weeks or four weeks speaking overseas and, and I have the trust and the assurance from her that I have nothing to worry about and mm -hmm. I want to relay that to her as well so that she's got nothing to worry about. And even if she's not here and I'm going out for drinks with a friend or if I'm going to you know play sport or I'm just going to hang out with somebody, there's no reason for her to feel um, or to be afraid rather that something is going to happen. It goes back to your point about even if I was hanging out with somebody of the opposite sex, I can go and hang out with them and have a drink and she doesn't need to worry about, my partner doesn't need to worry that I can't keep it in my pants and that something's <laughs> going to happen because I go and hang out with somebody else of the opposite or the same sex, whoever you're attracted to. It, it kind of dumbs everyone down, but I, I very strongly believe in the idea of independence, having a life together, like you said, building that infrastructure and you know, assuring your partner that nothing else, like you don't have to worry about something happening just because you're doing something with somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, tr trust cannot be conflated with super. And I think this is what Zsa is suggesting here. And I know it's, you know, an old quote, but this idea that if I watch them, if I monitor whom they speak with, right. we will cultivate trust. You are actually eroding at trust by trying to supervise your partner. Is that a fair, would you agree with that? I would absolutely agree. And all it does is make them better at being sneaky. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right? If there's a propensity or a need um, to go out and do something that uh, your partner wouldn't approve of, that doesn't go away just because you're being watched all the time. Um, I have a seven-year-old and if I leave her unattended, She's going to get into what she wants to get into, whether I'm there or not. I'm in the house. I'll be, you know, in the next room and I'll try to see, I'll see her like trying to sneak across the hallway to go get my makeup. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter if I sit there in the room with her all day. She's still going to want to get in that makeup. <laughs> um, yeah, I just think that that's such a silly notion. And, and also the way that our lives are set up um, today, like, we're busy. Like people have full careers and responsibilities and interests. Um, we travel a lot. Like we're a very global society. Um, mm -hmm. And so the likelihood that you can have eyes on your partner 
all the time. I, I think that if you have to monitor your partner's phone or their email or their social media accounts, that's an indication that there's a real problem in that relationship. That's, that shouldn't be what's normal. That's an indication that there is some distrust, that there is some poor communication um, that exists, some insecurity that exists, and that really needs to be addressed. Okay, before we let you go, if you are feeling that type of insecurity and you are feeling as though you need to monitor their phone or you are checking their messages, what should you do? What should your next step be? Um, so so I have to think about safety all the time, right? Because um, there could be situations in which it, it's not, um, the, the level of um, dysfunction is such that it's not safe to directly confront your partner. Um, and I think, um, you know, that you have to take that on a case-by-case basis to think about that. Um, but if it is a relationship and where there is enough safety and tolerance that you can talk to your partner, I think being able to set aside time to say, um, I'm not feeling um, secure in this relationship right now. And I want to sit down and talk about that and figure that out. I don't know that we can do it on our own but I'm open to going to see someone as a third party to help us have this conversation Um, because I want to be in a place where I can trust you. I don't want to be preoccupied and worried about what you're doing when I'm not around. Um, And I think some couples can um, work that stuff out uh, together. I think that happens most when there's already um, an expectation in the relationship that they talk about the relationship. Uh, But if there's couples where there's never conversation about what's actually happening in relationships, there's not regular ongoing check-ins, then you probably need to engage the the help of a a third party, of a therapist, of a relationship coach, um, someone to help you navigate that conversation in a way that both people get um, heard and understood. Great. Yeah. And that's a good reminder to everyone that if you only talk about your relationship when something is wrong, it can be more difficult to have those conversations. So even if you're in a great space in your relationship now, start talking about it. You know, Dr. Nikki, thank you so much for your insights. Can you tell us where everybody can find you? Sure. First of all, thank you for having me. It was a great time to chat with you and Brandon. Brandon, make sure you tell um, Adam I, I'm still a fan of his. Um, I will. He's texting me right now, so it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have been fun. Um, and so, everybody, you can find me at um, both Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Nikki Knows, D R N I K K I K N O W S. That's um, Twitter and Instagram. Um, and then you can find me also on my own podcast. I'll actually be returning next Monday, um, streaming on Spotify and iTunes. And that is Doopy Deep with Dr. Nikki. That's D U P E E. The word deep with Dr. Nikki, um, my co-host Tomas Bell. We talk about culture, politics, movies, TV, race, oppression, um, sexuality. We talk about it all um, over there and we try to get deep with it. So um, please stream us on Spotify or download us on iTunes. um, And you can follow us um, also on Spreaker.com for my podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. You guys have a great rest of the day. Same to you. Bye. Now, celebrities, of course, are human beings, which means that not all of their advice is bad. They have lived experience that brings them to thoughtful insights. And one person whose 
relationship insights are particularly relevant and resonate with me. And I don't know everything she said, but some of what I've read from Jada Pinkett Smith, who is married to Will Smith, really, I think, is is applicable to many different types of relationships. Now, first and foremost, she talks about the fact that she trusts her husband because she knows he's a good person. She says at the end of the day, if Will is comfortable with his behavior, then she is too. And she's talking about how Will interacts with other women. Now, these are celebrities. They're working on set. They're traveling. They're working with lots of other beautiful people. For work, they probably have to kiss people and lie in bed with people. And this is part of acting. And this is what Jada Pinkett Smith says. She says, I am nobody's watcher. So the opposite of Zsa Zsa Gabor, right? I am not here to watch you. I'm not here to supervise you. And this is so important because trust is not something you prove or earn. It is something you give. There can be an element of earning and proving trust, but ultimately you never know. And so blindly, you do have to give trust to some degree. Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith also talk about the value of spending time apart. You know, they have hectic schedules, but it helps to bring them closer together when they actually are in the same room. And she also talks about the fact that there are bigger things in life to focus on that help her to stay grounded. So, for example, when there are divorce rumors circulating about Jada and Will, she reminds herself that she's not going to worry about these divorce rumors because some people have bigger real problems. She says some people have to worry about feeding their kids and making rent. So I'm too grateful for everything I have to worry about the fact that some trash reporter or trashy person person feels like talking about my business. And we we have to deal with that a little bit. I'm sure people talk a lot of smack about us. (laughs) I mean, we're no Jada and Will. (laughs) No, not at all. but, But no doubt people talk smack. And you just, like like Jada Pinkett Smith says, there's more important things to focus your time and effort on. And then finally, Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith talk about how normal it is to look at other people. Jada says that Will cannot possibly appreciate her beauty without appreciating other women's beauty too. So I think uh, I think Jada has some an interesting perspective couple good looking people right there (laughs) yes they are they are Uh, so before we go we've had some good advice some bad advice but I want to recap what Dr. Nikki has taught us because I think a lot of what she said can be applied in our own lives so I learned today from Dr. Nikki that therapists are trained in techniques to put their personal experience aside to address biases and to better serve us the clients Even if I think my advice is useful, I don't have the training to address my own bias, which is why I'm not an expert. So if you can see a therapist, please do. Yes, and we are trying to destigmatize getting help because we all can use it. Uh, I also learned that it's, it's not a relationship if there isn't emotional reciprocity. So if you're holding back, and you're not expressing your feelings, stop. Speak up if it's safe to do so. The more you express yourself, even if you're expressing vulnerable emotions, the closer you'll be to your partner. 
I learned about sexism a lot today, specifically in reference to Steve Harvey's advice. The fact that it's bad for men as much as it's bad for women. Men are taught that we're not allowed to be emotional or vulnerable, and women are taught that they have to be more like men. Yes, so sexism hurts everyone. It's not about men or women. It's about people of all genders. And, and finally, part of this discussion reminded me of why I believe our relationship works so well. And babe, you know, you talked about being supportive of me. And I believe I'm supportive of you and your career and your life goals. But I think it goes beyond support. I think what really makes this relationship fulfilling to me is that we're actually excited for each other's achievements and lives. Like when you're doing something exciting, I'm excited for you. I know when I travel, you're excited for me. I I I see you checking the weather. (laughs) I do check the weather wherever you're going, but because I'm excited, I wish a lot of times that I was there to experience and to uh, enjoy the cities or the people that you're talking to. Yeah, I know there's a bit of living vicariously through me at times, and that feeling that like not only do you have my back, not only you know are you supportive of my career, but you're ex- you're genuinely into it. It's just the warmest. Uh, safest feeling to know that you support me in this way and so if there is a way you can find to get excited for your partner not just support them but get riled up with them for their achievements I think that uh, you know it, it brings you closer and for me at least it makes me feel really loved by you so thank you oh, of course We're going to stop there. Thank you so much to Dr. Nikki. Thank you to you for listening. Thank you to Desire Resorts and Cruises. We will be back again next week with a new episode, so please make sure you share, subscribe. If you like it a little, leave a review. Hopefully you like it a lot. Thanks again, and have a great one. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.